Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. And God caught on gothic ceilings, the most ornate in the world. What a sight, what a privilege to feel those heights. But my prayer stayed up there spinning. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's a blind always comes at the most frightening time to make sure you won't forget. So the most defining feature of my apartment is this long hardwood floor hallway. My room is on one end of it and my roommate's is on the other. And outside of my room is this big black spot on the floor. And it looks although while my friend and brother were carrying my insanely heavy record shelf into my room, they must have scuffed up the floor. So I get a hot bowl of water and a scouring pad and I get on my knees and I get to work on it and I scrub so hard to get this black spot off the floor but it just doesn't go away. And I bring all my cleaning products and I keep scrubbing to get this black spot off my floor but it just won't go away. And then it hits me like a brick wall. And I remember the question I hated being asked when I was growing up. Has anyone ever told you you look exactly like your mom? Yeah, I get it all the time. Short, big thighs, small feet, small hands, same skin, same smile. Fuck, me and my mom really do look alike. There's one thing though, one, fundament one fundamental difference in our appearance that we do not share. My mom's curly black hair is tucked neatly behind a hijab. She didn't always wear a hijab though. She started wearing it back in 2002. I was about 10 years old at this time. Uh, she started wearing it after my brother Hassan got sick. He had this lump on the side of his neck that kept growing bigger and bigger. And as this lump grew, my parents' fears that something horrible was happening to their son grew along with it. So they did what they only knew how to do and prayed that he was going to be okay. But the lump kept growing, so like lost sailors stuck out at sea with no hope, they promised God that they'd be better Muslims if Hassan made it through. The lump was not cancerous, Hassan was fine, but my parents kept their promises. Shortly after that, I come home from school one day and find my mom at the door of our house wearing a hijab, but this isn't unusual because she prays five times a day. But it was different. She had put work into it this time. It was neatly tucked and soft pink in color. And she asked me if I noticed anything different. No, what is it? I'm wearing a hijab. Like, forever? And it was forever. From that day forward, the hopeless lost sailors found refuge in this god, in their god that was homophobic, racist, sexist, and overall judgmental. 
But my siblings and I never found refuge in this God. My dad used to tell me that the happiest day of his life would be the day that I decided to wear a hijab. But I didn't have the heart to tell him that that was never going to happen. But I was more scared not to tell them to tell them that I drank alcohol and smoked weed and ate pork and that I was queer. Because if I ever told them, they wouldn't love me anymore. I spent my whole life lying to them about who I was. I painted this picture of this person that was perfect to them. But my hatred and resentment kept growing as I got older and it grew until the day that I told them God doesn't exist and that my sister wasn't going to hell for being with a black Christian man. And I told them I was queer and then they told me to leave and never come back. But I found refuge in my brother and my sister and my sister-in-law and my baby nephews and it was everything I ever wanted. This new family loved me for who I was and I never had to pretend to be anybody else. For the first time in my life, I shed the chains that my parents had put on me. In March 2014, I decided to go to Costa Rica with mostly strangers. It was the first time I had ever traveled alone because my parents forbade it. Young women needed to be supervised at all times. And on this trip, I met Brienne, the smart, strong woman who taught me to love myself, the real me. And so when she decided, or when she had asked me to move in with her in the summer of 2014, I quickly said yes. So my mom used to tell me I wasn't enough of a woman. I needed to wear makeup to hide my acne and I was way too fat and I dressed way too much like a boy and she told me that I needed to walk just a little bit lighter because I clunked around when I walked. She also taught me the importance of keeping a clean household. It's called Sitilbet, which means woman of the house and that's my duty as a woman to play that role. She would teach me her tricks of cleaning. Certain products worked, certain products didn't. You had to sweep the floor at least once a day. You cannot leave your house without making your bed. And there's grime in between tiles that will only go away if you get on your knees and scrub really hard. And when it doesn't go away, you scrub even harder. And I always push her away when she forced me to clean. What are you going to do when you have a husband? You have to keep a clean house for him. The day I moved in, Brienne was away on vacation for a week. This was also the first day that I had realized I inherited something from my mom that was not biological. This house isn't clean. This house needs to be cleaner and it needs to be in order. I spent the whole week Brienne was gone passive aggressively cleaning this basement. And even after it was clean, I felt like it wasn't clean enough. And these feelings continued for the three months that I lived in that basement. Every day I woke up and saw a thin layer of dirt everywhere. It consumed me. But Brianne and I moved into a new apartment in October of 2014. And I felt like this was an opportunity to start new. This apartment was generally really clean. The tenants before it kept it really nice. And I thought about the relationship I have with cleanliness and I understood it came from my mom beating these ideas into my head about what women were supposed to be. It's not a healthy attribute to have, but 
I hated it so much more than the fact that I look like her because I felt like I could control this aspect. I moved in one week before Brienne did and I thought this was great, you know, like I was going to clean the apartment on my own, I wouldn't have to clean around her and mostly I didn't have to worry if Brienne was judging me. But this black spot, it was different. It looked like it was permanent. It was there from tenants who had lived there before. But it just felt really out of place. It didn't belong there and it made the floors look a ton more dirty than they actually were. But it was fun. I was going to work really hard and I was going to clean that spot and then I could breathe e easier once it's done. But it just, it wouldn't go away. And I felt my anxiety levels rising and I just wanted it to go away. So I scrubbed harder and my anxiety grew and all my hatred and resentment for my family just spilled all over the floor and all I could think about was how I never wanted to see my mom again. I sat us in my room for an hour sobbing uncontrollably because I just could not get this black spot off of my floor. And just like that, I hit another brick wall. Wafa, you don't need to do this. This doesn't define you. So, I stand up and I wipe the tears from my face and I put all the cleaning products away. And I then lay on my bed that I chose in my home with people that I have decided are my family and friends. And then I thought to myself, here, this is the place. a really powerful story from Wafa about, I mean, about a lot of things, I guess, about family, about where we come from, about getting past it. and about finding your own family. About finding your own family, yeah. And today we're going to talk about how you can fit so much into one seven-minute story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, and also to sort of what to do with the story uh, that you th you know is good and you know has has power to it, uh, but it may not work as well as you want it to uh, in a chronological order. Mm -hmm. And especially, I think with a topic like this, stories about estrangement are really stories we don't tell. It's not something that, as a young person, you don't. I mean, I also am estranged from my mother, and it's like it's not something that we talk about day to day. Wafa and I do, but um, in in our lives, they really are stories we don't tell, and so you know that there's there's something to it and there's a real important reason to tell that story but how do you make it into a story <laughs> well i think uh just in again this is is sort of in our experience and and through uh over the course of first starting with the uh, the writing our writing group let's get personal and then into developing like workshops and doing this for a, a few months at this point or including the writing group over a year, I guess, mm -hmm. yeah. and um, is just the, these are some things that that we've just kind of discovered along the way. Of first, 
um, kind of writing it all out in chronological order and getting mm-hmm. out all of the details. But then, you know, like you're saying, a little bit more of the emotional con- content is, is maybe not uh, there yet. In, in what Wafa does in this story is something that I think I do a lot, uh, which is sort of which is when you don't think your ending when your ending is maybe ambiguous mm-hmm. uh, to to hide it at the beginning mm-hmm. uh, or to start with it and then to come back to it because uh, that sort of gives that more it lets the audience know that oh, okay I heard this at the beginning now I understand the context of what's actually going on here that's super now I fully understand and sort of it brings people back into the sort of thing and it, it, it sort of it works in a way that sort of lets them sort of understand sort of the the emotion of the of the event mm-hmm. in a way that you that maybe would have been lost if you just told it chronologically. Yeah, and so I w- so what happened with Wafa is that she came in to our first. So we do two workshops for every event, and she came into the first workshop with she had written out a full draft, and this was her second story with stories we don't tell, but the first one that she didn't already know kind of how to tell it, and she came in with this full chronological draft. So I think it also it did start with the cleaning or it ended with the cleaning. Remember that was in there, but it was, it felt like the the first draft was, it must have been chronological. So it must have started with an explanation of her parents and then ended with the cleaning. And and this is kind of what you're talking about. And what, what happened was that they felt like two distinct moments and it was distracting that's not the right word no it sort of felt like she was telling two stories yeah because 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 the the for the first half it was really like it was this was my experience growing up and the second half was this was my experience with this roommate Mm -hmm. and then at the end it was like oh but i tie back this roommate thing to the Mm -hmm. beginning part but and actually, so, I felt this way because of the first thing that I told you Exactly. About. But it really felt like this is one thing, this is another thing, this is my ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, and so, the, so the struggle we, we, were, we were working with her through was how does we make it sound like one piece of story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because those two things were, they're, they're, very, they're related. Like you can understand yeah. why it was one story for her. Yeah. It was just trying to figure out um, the kind of through line that connected both of them up in just more of a narrative kind of a way uh, mm-hmm. from not start to finish as in chronological, but just in telling the story, you know, why does it make sense? So it, it we've, I guess it felt like for her, it didn't, a uh, one way to tie it up is to bring in the, like the now part of the story or where she was uh, talking about where she kind of ended up mm-hmm. and move part of that to the beginning just so it was a clear clear understanding of like okay this is where i'm going to start the story and then i'm going to go back but it's almost an indication also to the audience that this is where uh we're sort of heading mm-hmm. and so we when we talk about this we like to call this an anchor i feel like we sometimes we call it a box we call it whatever i was like, this was very very I, the, the box i was once I, I usually call it an anchor i think once i just yelled box a bunch of times that was yeah come to our workshops they're very helpful <laughs> um and and it's like writing it out chronologically is really important i think in this conversation that we're having right now, we're not saying don't tell a story chronologically. Like it's so important because it helps you to remember pieces that you that you had forgotten that you didn't think were important, and it helps you find where your feelings actually are in a story. Like I think we've talked about this before, but when you sit down and write it out chronologically, sometimes it's the parts that you would skip over normally. You you include those, and then you find that you get get a lot of emotion and you get caught up, and it's like oh, this is the thing. 
this is the important part. And so when Wafa came in with this chronological story the first time, she it was really clear where her emotions were tied up in the story and that that was the thing to explore some more. And that was the thing to anger it in, as we call it. So it was like, oh, these feelings that you had, which is now where the story starts, right? She's cleaning, she gets to this spot and she can't get it out. And she has like a, a Lady Macbeth moment. Um, so she has this moment and she's like trying to get it out and then she's overcome with emotion and that is already powerful because we're wondering and we're with her and we get to be curious as she's curious like why is this happening to me right now and then that works in a way that where we get to go on this little exploration with her instead of the chronological version which is how she realized that that exploration had happened that way yeah it almost i i almost feel like this is what's interesting about not going chronologically in this is it almost makes it more true to the story mm-hmm in that, in that, it's not like you know, sure chronological. Usually, thinks you think that's the that's how it happened. But I think the the fact that in for Wafa this happened, she went back in time to under try to understand why this was happening, and then that sort of so the way the way it ended up actually being presented was was more true to this to to sort of how she lived it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what uh, since we've been doing this this event, what's something that. Uh, I've learned a great deal about is, again, moving from just sitting around with a few people and uh, sharing these personal stories to bring it in, to an audience, is I think that, is just thinking about the audience a little bit more. And her story, Wafa's story, to me is just a, a good example of, you're kind of helping the audience also navigate through the story with you in a way, mm-hmm. and they're not, you're kind of just making it clear to them that it's like, okay, this is where, like, this is where I am. Like you're saying with the anchoring, you're almost mm-hmm. anchoring the audience as well. Mm-hmm. You're establishing a present tense. Yeah. Basically, yeah. like the present tense of the story is this one moment mm-hmm. or this one week or this one whatever, but like a finite period of time. Mm-hmm. And I think it also saves you uh, from being confused at the end mm-hmm. in that in that it lets you sort of, People are sort of trying to understand when you when you do it the way that we sort of ends up being structured. You sort of see that beginning part, and then you're like, okay, so what's going on here? And then as we're working through, you under you slowly begin to understand what happens at the end. So when you get back to the ending, you're like, you're with them, right? Mm-hmm. You're there. Whereas if you say it chronologically, you might get to that ending, and people will be trying to understand why because mm-hmm. they didn't they weren't thinking about this for the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then they and then and then and then it ends, and then they haven't had time to really be there with you during that ending because they haven't figured out what you're talking about yet. And in the in the episode about endings, we also we talk about um, how people like having cues about when an ending is coming, and so when you're reading, you you have a cue because you know how many pages are left, left or how many paragraphs are left. But what happens is you know what you're working towards, and you give people a bit of a destination. So I know because uh, you were just talking about cues, like for the ending. I think also with Wafa's story, there's a good. Uh, it's kind of interesting to follow her cues throughout the whole story, where. She starts with cleaning, and then um, I believe, like, so when she introduces things like she introduces her mother, and that, uh, you know, she learned certain things from her about keeping a clean house and all that. Like, to me, it was she established these really cool sort of cues where if it was chronological, you would maybe, you, it wouldn't mean as much. Like, you wouldn't be thinking mm-hmm. as the audience going, like, oh, this is sort of these pieces are all building up towards this end, and then the end that she brings back kind of almost creates a, a much deeper meaning mm-hmm. than when you were introduced to it at the beginning. Yeah, you're giving people context for what it means to you. 
and that's what and that that way it means something to them um and yeah the the last thing is just for something like this we just we're talking a lot about chronology but for these longer stories that are about relationships really stories about relationships which many most of them are probably the story of a relationship isn't the like years and years or your entire life that you spent with somebody because you can't tell that in seven minutes and so that's the other reason that this is so this is a helpful tool like not every story needs to be told this way in this one like 10 minute moment or a week or whatever but it lets you just identify a, a feeling or an idea one thing about that relationship to explore and then give it space instead of just trying to tell someone well i met this person and then or if it's your parents like well i was born and then my entire life happened and now here we are like that's not actually compelling no matter how fraught your relationship has been i'm brianne you can follow me on twitter at venice b i'm paul you can follow me on twitter at jeffrey paul doors and I'm Stefan. You can follow me at Twitter on at, 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 at Stayho underscore. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. Thanks for listening to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast. This episode of Stories of Tell is brought to you by Lampshades. When sometimes light's too bright. That's a great point.